This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, last Thursday, CARP hosted and I moderated the first of only two mayoral debates here in Toronto. It was, quite frankly, a lot livelier than we expected and most important, it aired important Zoomer issues that are not necessarily front and center in these events. Uh, There are a lot of seniors who are either renting or owning because renters pay taxes too indirectly through the landlord. And I think we're going to have to reassure people that they can stay in their homes, afford to stay in their homes by keeping taxes low. That's the one thing a mayor and a city council uh, can do. Empty nesters, they want to age in place, but they cannot afford the house. If they split it in four, they live in one fourth and rent out the other three, we're going to have hundreds of thousands home as of right. Well, did CARP get the answers it was looking for? And what about getting some confidence that some of these very good ideas would actually be acted on? Uh, What do you think? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And let's bring in our Zoomer squad, David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer of CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, all. Hey, Libby. Hi, Hi, Libby. Let us begin with David. So your take on the debate and did it answer all your questions? Well, it, it didn't. There's one big question that it didn't answer, and that is, is there a exciting vision for the future of Toronto? Um, totally the management, the competent uh, management operator type, the other uh, candidates had very... Uh, David, David, I'm interrupting you. We can't hear you. I don't know uh, where you're standing. We're going to have to call you back. All right. Okay. Uh, Okay. Let's uh, hand it over to Bill. Uh, Bill, your take on the debate. Well, it was was an excellent opportunity to uh, showcase uh, CARP's uh, concerns. Uh, Anthony uh, Quinn, our uh, CARP uh, community, uh, Chief Officer was able to ask the five questions that are most uh, important to uh, CARP members, and at least we got them on the, the table and got them talked about. Whether or not the answers were helpful is, uh, we're a little bit skeptical. The uh, the uh, uh, current mayor was not as uh, specific in his answers as we'd like him to do, and of course the challengers all all were, but they haven't shown whether or not they can follow through or not. But the the questions that were raised were important. They were well well explored, and uh, uh, one of the only times in a long time in a municipal election that we've had an opportunity actually to get this uh, these questions out to the to the candidates and to the public. Peter, it was interesting. You know, uh, the Toronto Star declared Chloe Brown the winner. She's quite frankly somebody who doesn't. Really Really have a chance. She was very combative, but, uh, but the candidates kept saying, "I agree with Chloe." And one of the things she brought up was a community health hub, which is something that older people need to be able to age in place. Uh, did you think there's any hope of helping to get that done? Well, you know, um, yeah. In between her sort of barbs against uh, Tory. Um, she she made some good points, and uh, I don't know whether she won the debate, but she she certainly, I mean that that health hub is, is something that uh, you can't really disagree with. But um, you know, like from our experience, uh, you, you know they they've sort of fumbled, um, you know, reorganizing these um, you know these these local health authorities and. Um, it's it, Lins, it yeah, which Lins. were supposed to be abolished ages ago, right? And and they they fumbled that, and so whether um, you know whether I have any hope that the bureaucracy can can um, sort of 
create these health hubs in in areas of need it, you know that remains to be seen but it, but that doesn't mean it's not a good idea and um i just thought you know um you know she if she could have expanded it a bit more rather than taking shots at tory i, I thought that would have been helpful but uh but generally it was a good idea and and i i would like to add Libby, that your the debate was ably moderated by you so oh, well, thank you, you. you certainly kept people on track and there was none of, like, you limited the amount of sort of antagonistic comments, and I thought it ran quite smoothly. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, we have David Kravitz back. What was your take on, on how Zoomer issues were answered? And uh, John Tory did remind us that they, they I mean, hey, bureaucracy is the answer for everything. They created a separate agency for the seniors' housing that, that the city of Toronto runs, uh, I don't know. Is that the answer? Well, I think that what was missing uh, was a sense of vision or purpose or excitement about the whole package. We were reduced to, you know, we've, we've repaired 180,000 potholes. We have a good bureaucracy working on this topic. We'll take time to repair all the broken problems in the parks. I mean, it's all that sort of grubby blocking attack. That is, frankly, what municipal government is is mainly all about. But there's also a sense of malaise of uh, the city just isn't, you know, uh, what it used to be. And I don't think that the uh, defendant, if you will, uh, the incumbent, uh, John Tory, really dealt with that. And I think that uh, the criticisms were all onesies and twosies. What about this problem? What about that problem? And there, everybody agreed, vehement agreement on what to do, but um, there's no sense that the city really has the capacity to do much more than, you know, band-aid their way through a better future. Well, let's get to some of the specifics. So this community health hub, you know, it's like motherhood and apple pie, but we have to wait to see it. And of course, uh, much of it would be provincial. Uh, Gil Penulosa seems to think that, <clears throat> excuse me, if there, if, if people could just subdivide their homes without having to go through zoning, that would be a big, huge thing. Uh, do you agree? Bill? Well, certainly in in, uh, in some communities, uh, that is working across the, the country, being able to uh, uh, subdivide your property, being able to build uh, uh, what they sometimes call a granny, uh, a granny suites or granny, uh, gra- granny small houses on the same uh, property, being able to do that. Of course, that gets tremendous pushback from people in the community who are afraid they're going to be used for other uh, purposes like Airbnbs and that sort of thing. So it certainly takes some, uh, takes some control, but some, but uh, there have to be positive steps taken to expand the ability of people to, uh, uh, to be close the family to stay in their own uh, uh, neighborhood. And of course, that all comes back to what you were talking about before, which is community health ups, whether you know, some of that is, is certainly lots of it is, is provincial. But if we're going to allow and uh, make it possible for people to, uh, to stay at home or in their own community and be able to uh, not have to move into long-term care facilities, which most people want to do, then we're going to have to provide some kind of community health services that are available to them right within their own community so they don't have to travel great distances. And, and that's, you know, absolute key, uh, to, uh, being able to, uh, age at home and not have to uh, not to have to live elsewhere and uh, yeah, certainly the the answers there the answers were not specific they don't seem to know exactly how they're uh, going to do that and, and there was really no talk about what uh, how they would influence the provincial government to help them make it happen Peter, I, I think he, Gil was talking about a lot more than a granny suite. He was talking about subdividing a house into four units without getting permission, which is uh, a very different thing and which uh, Bill is right. A lot of uh, neighborhood residents are not thrilled about, not only because of a possibility of an Airbnb, but property values and, and, uh, all of that. So again, do you think that would be the answer. What John Tory kept coming back to keeping property taxes down and saying, hey, at least it's in our capacity to do that. Yeah. Um, 
So, so Gil's idea, like um, on a smaller scale, might might take some of the stress off the, um, you know, the, the the poor real estate situation. But um, you know, I, I've seen neighborhoods where they allowed um, houses to be divided into many many units, and uh, in, in Invariably, the neighborhood goes downhill because um, it's just sort of a free for all. No one knows what those units are being used for. You know, um, you know, it, it, it can't. You can't divide some houses four ways. Like unless, unless you look at these things, you can't just allow people to to go <laughs> go. Uh, you know, completely start dividing up their houses because because the the neighborhoods are going to go downhill quickly. You know, so th- so that kind of. Um, that kind of idea, it, it's sort of like a, you know, it has it has the kernel of a good idea, but but the way Gil wants to roll it out, um, it's not going to solve the housing problem, and it's it's going to uh, lead the downtown neighborhoods downhill more than, uh, than you know, is already happening. Peter, you know, you bring up an interesting point, and there have been a couple of things that have happened recently that make me think that you know some of these. Good ideas are going back to things that had been good ideas that went back bad that were corrected. So you're talking about the subdivisions, you know, and I'm remembering Parkdale yeah. in Toronto that's from the one when. I was thinking of Libby. Absolutely. It, yeah. Sorry, is that where you live? No, yeah. Well, that's, that's the neighborhood I was thinking of. Right. Exactly. So yeah. it had been a hub of rooming houses. Yeah. Now, of course, there were a lot of issues with people with mental illness, but it was, it was run down. It yeah. was, and, and then people bought up houses in Parkdale and put them back to be single family houses that are now worth a huge amount of money, I they might are. add. They are. And, and, you know, there are still sort of, um, there are still rooming houses now, but it's not all rooming houses now. So, so the neighborhood sort of you can walk through it at night now, right? So, um, so there there are those issues that I think you know, you know, we went through these these in the sixties and seventies, and they didn't work, as you say. And so, like um, Gill, sort of coming at it like this is a brand new idea that's going to work, but you know, certainly the old older people can point to. Uh, situation where it didn't work. Yeah, and uh, uh, another thing that is not necessarily relevant is the whole issue of historic designation. And there was an issue around a very culturally important soy sauce factory. Um, and there are a lot of people saying you've got to remove the, the whole thing about designating anything historically. And, you know, in the sixties, we tore down a huge number of significant buildings. And, you know, pave paradise, uh, put up a parking yep. lot. Yep. And it yep. was like that. And it, we seem to be getting back to that, David. Well, I think that's true. And I think that the problem again, is that there doesn't seem to be an overarching coherence to all of this. And I'm very skeptical that any of it can be even executed. And a lot of the problem, when you get down to the level especially. It's true at all levels now because we have a, a crisis of of uh, competence or of execution. It's not so much the policy. It's not so much anybody in the panel uh, issued an idea you know, way out of line although I think that uh, Chloe Brown seemed to be calling for property taxes on churches which kind of slid by without being remarked <laughs> on which is a little bit controversial. But even if we talked about it, the community health hub, I mean, how precisely could you even execute that? There's no chance in the world that the city authorities with the resources they have could ever figure out where are all the seniors living? Are they all living in, in, in any kind of a coherent pattern? How far away does the nearest community health resource have to be? Um, can you overlay all that on a map? Can you build what's missing? Can you fill in what missing. What if you've got too many buildings over here and not enough over there? There's no way that that can be executed within the the budget or the competence of the, the government that's in place. So it's fatuous to talk about it, in my opinion. Hmm. Any Anything else that uh, jumps out at you, David, as something that was missed or, or, or a score, a home run that said, yeah, maybe they're on it? Well, I think that there was a lot of energy uh, from the panel. The uh, um, I think there was a lot of caring and passion about Toronto, 
And I think that Tory, uh, although he's going to coast to victory, I think he missed an opportunity to reflect that kind of passion coming from the other direction. He did talk about people are uh, moving to Toronto. They love it here. He's a big fan of the future, which is you know obviously what you'd expect him to say. But I didn't sense that. I sensed a little bit of tiredness maybe uh, in him. That might have been just the way I was looking at it. You know, another problem, another day, another water main broken, another, you know, in, uh, installation where the wires crumbling or whatever it is. And I didn't, I didn't get any sense of real uh, burning enthusiasm, and I did from the the, uh, the rest of the debaters, even though they were critical of him, they 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 showed a kind of a fire in the belly about Toronto that I don't think uh, he demonstrated. Okay, let's take a call from Barry in North York. Hi, Barry. Good afternoon. I think maybe the people that are thinking of voting for the mayor are forgetting his major mistakes, like allowing a thousand people to protest in the street during the pandemic when other mayors didn't. And uh, the Denda Street thing, which is a waste of money. And all I had to do was look, Google that, and Denda actually um, did support um, the slave problem. Oh, you're talking about rena is is okay. Is that happening anytime? I have to follow up on that. I, they're in favor of it. I don't know even when it's actually happening. Uh, what wh- what else, Barry? Are you uh, think are his mistakes? Metrolink thing, that's a major fiasco. Well, that's provincial. And I've often wondered why. I've often said that I think when governments uh, okay. with uh, contracts, with private contractors, that they should have a clause in it if, they're, if they have a delay. This is the time that you have to have it done. And we'll give you a leeway at moment, maybe a month or so. And if it's not, you pay a fee. You don't ask for more money and get it. Okay, you know what? That's one thing where I agree on you totally with, and I was quite appalled when a city councillor told me that maybe in this session they will talk about how to deal with contractors who uh, don't deliver and take money. Barry, thank you for your call. Uh, Panel, uh, I'd like to get to uh, another thing that obviously impacts older people, and that is galloping inflation. Excuse me, and food prices. And this morning, the CEO of Loblaw Company, Galen Weston, the scion of the Weston family, announced that he was going to be a great guy and freeze prices on about 1,500 products. Ah, but only his branded no name products. So, uh, is that a great thing, a show of leadership, because they're the first Canadian grocer to do something like that? Or is it a, a PR stunt and, and something that could help his company? I, I think it's a bit of both, Levy. Like, um, you know, he's, he's freezing prices now until on, on uh, no frills products until, um, or no name products, sorry. Yeah until January. Um, it's a bit late in the day because the prices have already risen. Um, you know, we, it, it's good, you know, prices will stabilize for two months and we, we can, you know, you know, uh, shop over the holidays for prices, you know, for food that's not, that hasn't risen, but it, it, it's a bit late in the day. And it's also a little bit, um, cynical because, um, you know, he's the one who's, you know the the prices have risen under his watch. Why why didn't he do this? You know at the beginning of inflation, or you know it, it just seems very a very cynical move. But not to say that we won't benefit from it. Yeah, I mean, and I, we are going to discuss this further towards the end of the show with a consumer advocate. And uh, some of the prices on some of those things have big fluctuations from one week to the next. I can tell you. Uh, so that's another thing. But David, how do you see it? Well, I think it's a good thing. I mean, anything that prices is a good thing, and he more control over his margins on his own uh, private label stuff than on stuff he's getting from stores. Uh, so he's going where he can, you know, he that. I don't think there's anything negative that uh, can be said about it. You could argue, why didn't they do it sooner? Why don't didn't they do it to make the cuts deeper? But I can't see any uh, 
uh, you know, negative about the thing. And of course, it's tied in with marketing. Everything is marketing. They're in right. a very competitive business. They have very, despite the uh, publicity that the groceries are all gouging people, their margins are not uh, exciting. It's not a business with exciting margins. And uh, uh, they're looking for any edge they can get. Uh, well, Bill, uh, you know, David just mentioned something. People think they are price gouging. You know, the evidence doesn't show that. And it's not just people. The NDP is pushing that narrative as well. Uh, but what do you think on something like this? Is it a publicity stunt or or is it something that has real value? Well, certainly uh, we know uh, that prices... Uh, have risen anywhere from 10 to 30 percent uh, in the last year and a half. So certainly they've gone up, but uh, but it's not just the the grocery stores at the at the retail end. We know, uh, as uh, Peter says, highly uh, uh, competitive, and uh, uh, there none of them are making huge. Uh, Amounts of bottom line profit. There are other reasons in the in the flow of, of goods and services that have taken prices uh, up. But I agree with uh, with Peter. A little skeptical about uh, uh, freezing prices now when they're already at uh, a high uh, a high rate. Uh, so that uh, it's it's going to high prices are going to continue to impact. Uh, uh, seniors and everyone else in, in the same way. Uh, I would expect the, the competition, Sobeys and others to, to, uh, come through and, and, uh, match something uh, similar with their, uh, uh, house products. Uh, the, the other interesting thing in their release was their concentration on their, uh, points, uh, cards. And of course, there's huge competition now that, uh, now that Sobeys has introduced, uh, their own new, uh, uh, points cards, so that's uh, probably uh, you know bringing attention to to that and 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 the uh, and their own products is certainly something that's a, a marketing play, as as David says. So uh, very very interesting. We'll watch it, but I bottom line, I don't think it's going to help our pocketbooks very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and David, do you think it'll help people's pocketbooks? Well, I don't think it'll be uh, game-changing. I mean, I don't think that there's this great big mountain of debt suddenly going to be swept away by a uh, price freeze on uh, a you know, range of private label products. But it can't hurt. And, and, I mean, I think we're, we're dealing in a world where people, particularly we're talking about Toronto again, the number of people... But a third, almost 30% of households in Toronto are operating on $40,000 a year or less. And that's serious. And uh, every dollar is helpful. Okay. So, yes, it will help many people. Okay. Uh, let's just go around the table very quickly for some parting thoughts, beginning with Bill. Well, the, uh, the, the debate uh, last week uh, aimed at... Uh, uh, seniors, hopefully uh, now uh, older uh, uh, Ontarians and, and especially the Toronto voters will get out and uh, and vote uh, this time. It looks like the like the uh, turnout is going to be very low. We hope that doesn't happen, but if it does happen and older voters still get out, we can have sway in uh, these municipal elections, and it's about time. Okay, David. I echo what Bill said. I think it's very important to get out. There's no, uh, no complaint if we didn't vote. So that means typically, you know, upwards of 60% of the people should just uh, are going to have to just accept what comes. Um, so I think voting is very important. I do hope we find some candidates, including um, at the top, that do have um, passion for the city. And I hope the mayor can translate his passion for the city, which he must have because he slugged it out for eight years, into a little bit more excitement, a little bit more dynamism about what the future can bring. Peter, last word to you. Last word. Um, I, I think, you know, I think this, like like the others on the panel, I, I, I think this um, race is done and, and Tory's going to walk him back into office. But what this debate did was it, it kind of highlighted future contenders for mayor. I thought Gil... Gill really did a good job sort of, um, you know, staking out territory for himself, Gill Penalosa. I thought Chloe Brown was uh, quite good, and, and she seems 
she's sure to have a future in politics. And even Jack Yen, like he 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 sort of like took the, you know, the the hard businessman's approach. But it, but I think I think that's an approach that will speak to a lot of people down the road. So so. You know, we may not have um, changed the mayoral vote for this election, but certainly we're going to see some viable candidate. These people down the road, and and this is this was a uh, excellent introduction to them. Okay, thank you so much, Peter Mugridge, David Kravitz, and Bill Van Gorder. Thanks, Libby. Thank, thank you. you. And we are going to take a break, and when we come back. Uh, what does it take to run as a candidate? And what happens if you do? We are going to talk to our own Liz West, who did that twice. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now, speaking of the CARP debate, I got my best laugh of the afternoon when I suggested that even a pet rock could win re-election as a Toronto city councillor. Now, incumbency almost feels like the only factor in this. And for a newcomer, a challenger, it is daunting. Our own Liz West, co-host of the Afternoon Express, ran for city council twice. She lost, even though she was backed by quite the political machine. And I am fascinated to hear the details of how that all works or doesn't. Hi, Liz. Hi, Libby. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Now, uh, Liz and I go back. We worked together at City TV for a long time, and she ran after I left City TV, and I was a little surprised that she took it on. So when did you run, and and what made you decide to do that? Yeah, I think I was more surprised than anybody. Okay, so the story is I literally got a, a, an email from a couple of people that lived in the ward saying, Liz, we're sick and tired of our counselor. She keeps winning. She's a longtime incumbent. We think you could win. We know you like the city of Toronto, like you're passionate about your city. We know who you are. Would you consider running? Because the bottom line is you need, you need some kind of name recognition. Sadly, it could be you own, you know, the finest tailor shop on the main street or you're a media personality. Uh, but you need, people need to recognize your name or you really don't stand a chance. So at the time I thought, are you nuts? Like, I'm not, (laughs) why would I want to do this to myself? And then I said, well, I'm going to take a couple of, um, I call a couple of people I know in the business of, of politics that have been around the block. Uh, uh, Arthur Potts, who's a former MPP, had run uh, a couple of elections. He ran um, a mayoral election, et cetera. And I thought, I'm just going to bounce this off of him. And what do you think, Arthur? And he said, okay, uh, she's a, you're, I was up against Paula Fletcher. Yeah. She's a really tough candidate or like exist sitting council yeah. to beat like this is we talk to her fairly often right. here yeah she's um it's it was uh jack layton's writing yeah so very left-leaning she's very left-leaning uh and i didn't i don't lean anyway yeah i have no political affiliation uh which i learned is you need a p- political affiliation even though at a municipal level there is you're not supposed to. I mean, really, it should be about potholes and fences and, you know, things that don't necessarily um, relate to liberal or conservative issues. Right. You know? But if you need to run a campaign, you could use an organization behind that's you. That's the whole thing. And that's the bottom line. You need to be organized. Right. So Arthur came back to me. He said, Liz, you know what? I talked to some people and there's enough interest in having a viable candidate in this uh, ward at the time that we can put it together for you if you'd consider doing this. And I thought... What year was that, by the way, ooh, the first God, one? Yeah. Mm, I, oh, yeah. 06, oh, maybe, or something like that? Uh, 2000 and... What is it? 22? I would say 2000... I don't know. Uh, four? Something says, like that? I yeah. can't remember. I, you know what, Libby? I can't remember. Okay. 2010. That's what it was. Yeah. 2010 and 2014. Uh, so I thought, okay... You know what? I have this strange philosophy where when people ask me to do something because of my um, 
I already have a certain uh, like public image. And if it's for a good cause, I always, I'm like, yes, of course I'll help. Of course I'll help you. I mean, if there's something I can do in my own little tiny way to help for the greater good, I'll do it. So I said, yes. Okay. And how did you, I mean, you need money for that and you need an organization. I know. know. So we sort of whipped up uh, interested parties that were also keen, uh, you know, more politically active people. So these were liberals. You know what? It it turned out to be everybody. There was liberals, conservatives, and former NDP. But I the, the that machine, got involved. The machine, you know, the, the machine. Or- I mean, it was it was liberal light. Let's okay. say it wasn't a full on full on because I don't wear anybody's yeah. hat. Yeah. I always felt like I don't want to be have to toe a party line. I don't, you know, hundred percent stand behind anybody. But I think your point is, you need a machine. And one thing I wanted to bring up today, because uh, having had this unique experience is, you know, when you look at the um, cast of people that are running in any particular ward, when you look at the array, everybody's there for a different reason, but there's very few that actually stand a chance and, and are organized. And even the best people, they can be the greatest, smartest yep. people. You can't organize. You you can't just snap your fingers and organize. You need to be have, have people that are plugged in. And willing to pull this together takes a ton of man hours. There's a lot of work involved. In terms of fundraising, we had fundraisers and we asked everybody if they would contribute and and raised raised enough money to my campaign manager for him to be able to use the funds to buy the signs. You need to have the signs to put on the lawns. You have to pay him, presumably. You have to pay. Yeah. I mean, that's that was a big learning for me. I thought it was all like, oh, aren't we all just so wonderful as volunteers? (laughs) I was volunteering. You're you're not volunteering here across the table and neither am I. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. But that... And if you, if you wanted to have all great people participate in this wonderful thing called municipal politics, it would need to be easier to entice people that when you go, no, 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 you have to, I had to put my job on hold in the media because you can't be in the media and be running. I had to, uh, find the right people. You have to pay certain people to, to participate. Um, it's, it's grueling. The whole process is grueling. All this to say, I, I was like taking, a, um, it was like a crash course in politics for me because yep. I, I wouldn't call myself incredibly politically savvy before I ran. Now I know way too much, <laughs> <laughs> like a, way too much about the inner workings of the political world. It's not pretty. It's yeah. also not, a, it's not pretty. I, there was times I was like, what is going on? Uh, get me out of here. Like, get me, is there, you know, call a friend. It was, it was, um, difficult. So I lost by, I think it was 100, 200 votes Nothing. in the first election, yeah. which I know, which is why I ran again. Because it, the other thing is, you know, and people won't necessarily be upfront about this, but you can't run once against an incumbent and expect to win. Exactly. You have to run twice, three times. Yeah. And, right? and people who get in eventually have run. Twice and three times. Yeah, yeah. And the problem is, if there is an incumbent, they like it's it's almost impossible to beat them. It happens like once in a blue moon, and that's usually because the the sitting councilor did something so egregious that enough people were able to rally around someone new. But the the new person has to. You have to have some sort of cachet. And and it it's so. Uh, here's what happened in, in my writing in the last election. This surprised me. It is so entrenched for an incumbent. So we had two incumbents because remember they cut yeah. the number of yes, counselors. Of course I do. Two incumbents, uh, well known yeah. and, and well liked. I mean, our incumbent was very well liked, yeah. but the way the riding was sliced, he had more of it. The other guy, oh, who was God. Josh Matlow, who's the yeah. current counselor, and our previous guy, Joe Mahevic, he he ended up being the interim. But it it just came. It was so cut and dried. Uh, it yeah. it you know almost had nothing to do with either of their performances. Oh, a hundred percent. That you 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 nailed it. Um, in my area, there was two NDP counselors, and the NDP had to decide which one they didn't want to <laughs> back anymore. So th- that was a real issue within that party. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so now, so it's it's very tough. So the thing is, you don't you, you don't get um, people say, why don't more people run in municipal politics? Well, let me count the ways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no and and you know the other thing is that this the councilor has a real. Am I going over or am I? No, no, no. I, okay, I just want to make sure because I could. <laughs> I feel like I'm. You know, you're my therapist, Libby. And okay, now I'm happy. This is you. really interesting. Um, what I learned was that the councilor has mailing lists. So the existing council already has a way to reach each and every person in their ward or riding. They can just send out a, oh, you know, just, the, just you know, this is what I'm doing. And and I complained. But it's like, oh, slap on the hand. Don't do that again. They can, they have like access to the inner workings of everything, every senior's residence, you know, mm. uh, every, every every organization that's there, there's already a very close tie. An outsider comes in and it's, it's impossible to get up to speed and to ingratiate yourself quick enough. Wow. And uh, so you ran twice yeah. and uh, then you hung up your skates. Well, uh, you know, what I realized is there's, I, I had a, there was someone I ran against uh, in the last election. Uh, there was a, another semi viable candidate. And, you know, sometimes people don't realize they're going to split the vote. They split the vote and then the incumbent gets oh, elected. Yeah. Right. So, and one of the things that does kind of my pet peeves is when people have blinders on and don't realize if you truly want change in this um, election, don't, don't get in there to split the vote. Like someone has to step back and say, I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to let there to be change because if I enter, I'm going to split the vote. So she split the vote. Well, but on the other side, and this happened even uh, with federal and provincial elections where people are talking about strategic voting and do you vote strategically uh, or do you vote according to who you want to win? And a lot of people think that that I mean, you're talking about people not entering, but a, a lot of people think that's messing with the process. Yeah, I, I, but what's the what's the right answer then? Well, I, you know, I don't know that there is one. Yeah, it's 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 really uh, challenging in all in all ways. Um, but what I did realize is that it's uh, it's a very very difficult. It's some people like the door knocking. There was one yeah. candidate. And he said to me, I have knocked on every door in this whole uh, ward twice. He said, because I've been, you know, pounding the pavement. And I'm like thinking, wow. And he was having the time of his life. I did not like knocking on the doors. That is not, I wanted to do the job. But to get the job, you have to do this yeah. other thing, which has nothing to do with the job. Walk up to someone's house, knock on the door, hope and pray that they don't, they don't spit on you when they open the door because <laughs> nobody wants to be. They've got their babies in their arms. They're crying. The dinner's on because you got to go at dinner time. Yeah, because that's the only time people are home. So you like canvas at dinner time, and you just hope and pray you get a half decent. And you try and make your impression quickly in and out, in and out. You know, th- there's a whole bunch of rules as, as it relates to canvassing, who to talk to, who to not talk to, how long to talk to people. And I thought, well, some people really like that process. And some people don't. So if someone like me is like, I don't really think I can do that to get elected. That means you you might miss out on a really great counselor. There you go. So uh, what else is your takeaway? I mean, we keep saying there's too much apathy for the provincial level. Mm -hmm. There are too few good people running, but hey, people, we want you to be engaged and, and, and all of that. So, you know, what's your takeaway from all of this? Well, you know, I was thinking about why is this election in particular so bad? Why are there so few incumbents compared to previous years? Uh, And, and, you know, to be honest, I think it's in the Rosedale riding there's no incumbent, but there then, are seven with no incumbents. Yeah. So, but there's nobody else. It's almost like nobody else who stands out. And then, and then you have with a really strange situation because 
how do they prove, how do they get a chance to put themselves on a platform to prove themselves? Younger people are really, uh, social media savvy, older people or someone else might not be social media savvy. I don't want to put an age on it. I'm just thinking of myself, right? Like yeah. I'm older and I'm not as with it, you know, um, it's, it's, and without really having a good campaign manager who knows the ins and outs, you know, if you, if you have your friend doing it, you're, mm-hmm. there's no way you, you, yeah. you know, it's not, it's a hard job. Like the camp campaign manager is a real job. Yeah, it is a job. And that's why there are some very good people at it that we talk to often who make livings at it and yeah. they go around the world doing it. Yeah. I think I know yeah. a couple that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what, what do you think? Why? Uh, well, I, th- I think that part of the answer is that people know it's difficult and there are people sort of, uh, Seven counselors, some of them from the left wing that's very connected with the NDP and their designates have the best chance. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. it's a, it's a political machine. Yeah. Yeah, and it is. there, there you go. And some people like their time has come. It's, it's not necessarily bad that some of these people are going, frankly, but, uh, what happens next? And I can tell you that in my ward, it, it's completely asleep. I've seen two signs for the incumbent. Can you believe it? And zero for anyone else. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's a, it's, it's like a sleepwalking thing. <laughs> is what yeah. it is. I wonder if it's because now they have larger pieces of like geography, yeah. like it's changed, something's changed. And it's a lot more work for them. It's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot of work. And, you know, you don't get a lot of pay, but it's a good income for someone and you get opportunities to make more. Uh, but, you know, everything we see on television and, and what we hear about on radio um, people are usually getting bashed around <laughs> counselors, you know? Yeah. I always said it's a thankless job. Who's thanking you? You can't make anybody happy. Thank neighbor- you for running this. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Livy. Yeah. That's my pleasure. And thanks for coming back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if anybody really wants to know what's like, need some tips, let me know. Okay. It's a little late for that. Uh, and people do get out and vote. Do get out and vote. Yeah. Do look up who's running in your ward. It's important. Liz West, thank you so much. Thank, oh, can I just add one yeah. more thing? And and have a thing about hosting a, a couple of candidates for like a tea night or coffee night at your house. Get them in, have your neighbors over and talk to them. Find out who they are. Okay, there's a week left. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Okay, people. They're going to be doing, they'd rather be inside having tea with you than knocking on uh, apartment doors, believe me. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, Liz. And we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about that grocery price freeze, only on no name, when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's about time. European grocers have been freezing prices for months. This morning, Loblaw Companies, Canada's largest grocery chain, announced a price fees, freeze only on over 1,500 of its own no-name products, and this will go on until January of 2023. Well, it's obviously good news for consumers on some things, but it may be even better for the company. So what do you think? Is this uh, great? Have they taken a great initiative or is it a PR stunt? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-744-740. And now I'm joined by consumer advocate and journalist Ellen Roseman. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Libby. So PR stunt or uh, leadership? Well, as you said, a number of European countries are doing this, and I think the way people are feeling right now, very discouraged when they go to the grocery store and they see the rising prices, and they also see that the cost of uh, shelters going up, that they like to see some leadership from the food chains. And perhaps if uh, Loblaws, which is Canada's number one retailer in terms of volume, uh, does it first, maybe the others will feel they have to follow. So that's not a bad thing. But definitely, uh, we remember it wasn't all that long ago, maybe three years ago, the price fixing involving yeah. Weston Bread and uh, Loblaws, and they gave us all a $25 gift card, which didn't really, you know, compensate many people for the amount of bread they bought over the years. So that's there. 
and also uh, the um, uh, House of Commons is going to vote today on looking at, you know, uh, the uh, uh, prices of groceries and, and whether or not the supermarkets are taking, uh, you know, excess profits out of it. And there's also an agricultural food committee uh, looking into it. A lot of this is sparked by the NDP and their concerns for ordinary people and their and their household finances. And um, another thing is that Loblaws is about to announce its third quarter earnings uh, this month, probably this week or early next week. And uh, this can help, I guess, pave the way for it. If the earnings look rather higher than people expected, uh, then they'll say, well, look at this step that we've taken. We're, we're freezing prices on 1,500 items for the next three months. I do want to point out that for many of us, we don't buy the yellow and black no-name items, but we buy the President's Choice, which is also a house brand. But there's apparently 4,000 of those items, but none of those are being price frozen. Okay, well, and and my question also is, like, frozen at what level? Let me give an example. One of the few, uh, no, I, I buy a few no-name products, including no-name butter unsalted butter. The price on that fluctuates from, sometimes it's on sale, like for for over $3, but it fluctuates between four and a half. And, and I guess we missed a sale. And the last time I was there, I saw it, it was just this weekend. It was like $7.50. It was really expensive, wow. more expensive than some of the brand name brands. Uh, and some of their stuff sometimes is more expensive than the brand name brand. So where is it frozen? Are you freezing it at at seven fifty for for a hunk of butter? Well, uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah, apparently the uh, price freeze goes into effect next Monday. So maybe they'll be looking at what the price is right now during this week and freeze it there. But for many people, they're saying, well, food price inflation is coming down a little. You know, it was at a very very high rate, but there there are things mitigating it to some extent. It's still incredibly high, but uh, are we, you know, freezing this for three months at a time when food prices might be starting to trend down a little bit? Well, I mean, the, 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 I guess the bottom line on that is that you still have to shop around and they might be freezing it at a level where, you know, uh, buying that brand doesn't make sense. Yes. I want to mention another item that's gone up a lot. I've seen it mentioned in uh, articles, uh, potato chips. You know, used to buy them for uh, a big bag for $3, $4 at the most. And uh, now they're more like 5 and $6 even for the house brands. Really? But we were shopping, uh, and it's something that people use as a kind of, you know, therapy after a bad day. <laughs> so, you know, it's not nutritious, but it can be uh, physic- psychologically satisfying. Anyway, on Saturday, we were at a Loblaw store, and there was a display, and I had to keep looking at it. There were two no-name chips uh, you know, a uh, family size. One was dill pickle and one was all dressed, not my favorite flavors. But each of those bags was selling for 24 cents. Well, maybe because they weren't selling. <laughs> yeah, I think those uh, uh, particular flavors weren't people's favorite. Well, exactly. It's like, yeah, sometimes it's like anything else. The color you don't want or the flavor you don't want is on sale. Yeah. But this might also give them a boost. I mean, what do you think of them only putting it on their own brand of products. Is that a way for them to sell more or to sign more people up? I would think so, uh, because if you uh, haven't been a PC Optimum member or if you didn't have a PC financial credit card, you might decide that that would be even more helpful because you're buying more of these products and you can get lots of discounts on them and you can save more money that way. I think it makes sense because Loblaws has full control over those brands. You know, they're the the people in charge when it comes to dealing with the manufacturers so they can negotiate these uh, these level prices or whatever it is that they need to, pr- to freeze. Yeah, but Ellen, they have a lot of control over all kinds of brands. I mean, you know, um, they have more control over their own brands, obviously, yeah. but, but they've got a lot of sway with suppliers. That's right. And we know in some cases that they have gotten rid of brands because they say our brands are just as good and they're cheaper and that's what's selling. So that could be an indirect way of trying to control the prices of some of the other brands. So three, or, or three that's what that we want to be time. selling is our brand. <laughs> Which one? Well, they sometimes they get rid of other brands that that actually are better, uh, at least in some people's opinions. But they want to sell their brand. Yeah, yeah, and uh, 
they figure that uh, this is a good time of year as well because over the holidays, we're entertaining more, we're eating more, we're at home more and uh, in the cold weather, and uh, we'll be looking at, at those brands. If they're smart, they might be even introducing some new brands, you know, with that insider's report that they put out every year. Let's take a quick call from Sita in Mississauga. Hi, Sita. Hi, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. Loblaws will gain by freezing price. It will be bad for consumers. We buy mostly no-name products because they are cheaper than brand name. Um, No-name products are under $2, most of them. So if they freeze price at $2 and don't put them on sale for a dollar at times, who is going to win? Well, exactly. I mean, you know, some of it is perishable, so it depends on when you need it. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, so you don't, you think, do you think it's a publicity center? Yes, it is. Because they, we, when they put these products on sale, something you get of a dollar or 90, uh, 99 cents or whatever it is, it's canned food. And people depend on these things to, for, to stock up and to use. And it's cheaper than to buy in fresh fruits and vegetables. Hmm. Okay, well, thanks for your input, Sita. Bye-bye. Thanks. Yeah, that's that's sort of what I was saying with the very expensive example of the butter, Helen, is that, uh, the, you know, they put stuff, even the, this stuff gets put on sale occasionally, and if it's not going to be put on sale, then, then who's going to be better off? That's right. Not everything is under $2. I know there's yeah. really big bags of flour that cost more than that, but... Yes, the, the the way they segment the market is that the no names are the absolute cheapest and maybe not the best quality where the president's choice is supposed to be just as good quality or better quality than other brands and at a higher price level. Well, yeah, I I I don't agree with all those designations, but honestly like I yeah, I try to shop as much as possible at an independent grocer. <laughs> And uh, Ellen, so I'm I'm looking at the clock. We are basically out of time. So your predictions, where does this go? Does this turn out great for Loblaw or not so great? And what about us? Well, I think it will turn out great to Loblaws because they were number one. And if the other two big competitors, Sobe and Metro, do it, they might do it at an even better level, in which case Loblaws might be forced to uh, improve the offer, sweeten the offer, so to speak. But it is a way to at least tell Canadians that these grocery stores that you enter two or three times a week uh, are on your side, at least in one small area, and you can't uh, tell them not to do it because I think it's better PR if they do this kind of offer than if they don't, even if we have a lot of criticism about it. Okay. Thank you so much, Ellen Roseman. Appreciate your insights. Thanks, Libby. Bye. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.